What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favale and Andy Bailey. And today's topic is going to be the Miami Heat. It's a, uh, it's a season where they should get a lot of redemption for all the misfortunes they suffered through last year. You know, the 2014-15 season was pretty much a disaster for them between health, uh, especially with Chris Bosch's blood clots in his lungs that knocked him out for the year. Uh, they had to make the midseason acquisition of Goran Dragic and their, their key players just didn't get to spend enough time on the court for them to even make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. But now we're looking at one of the best five-man starting groups in the league and a team that could push for that number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, so are we worried about how little continuity this team is going to have, or are we more blown away by how much talent they now have? The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR at their disposal because Pat Riley just has a deal with the devil. I'm going to go with the latter. I actually, I really like the makeup of this team, especially the starting lineup. As you mentioned, uh, Drogic, Wade, Dang, Bosch, and Whiteside, I think it, I could be really, really good. Obviously, health permitting. Um, that's going to be a big caveat with them. I don't, I don't really foresee lingering issues with Bosch. There's definitely a concern with Wade because he hasn't been terribly healthy for a while now. Dang has a lot of mileage on him because he's been in Tom Thibodeau's system for a while. And to me, Whiteside is still a little bit of a, a question mark. He, he was really productive last season, but I just don't know about him from a basketball 
IQ standpoint yet. That might come off really mean, but he just seems like kind of a powder keg. I, I know you guys remember when he attacked Alex Len last season, just tackled him in the middle of the game. Um, I, just, I just don't know if I trust him mentally yet. But pure talent-wise, I love all five, and I think they fit together well. I give Pat, uh, Pat Riley credit, a lot of credit, for what he's done in the wake of LeBron James' departure last summer. I think if this was any other team, we wouldn't be as high on them. Same, same makeup, but just because it's the Heat, I think there's a lot of pomp and promise around them. They have a lot of issues, and, and you t- touched upon a lot of them, Bailey. You know, Dwayne Wade is injured all the time. Luol Dang is a little bit older, and, and he's been injury-prone, and he has a lot of mileage on him. There shouldn't be any lingering issues with Bosch, but he's on the wrong side of 30 as well. Hassan Whiteside has shown that he's an NBA player for less than 50 games, too. So for, so let's even forget the mental aspect. Can he have a repeat performance? You know, Dragic should be fine. He's always been good. But I, I bring up this stat because we're really high on their starting lineup. And that starting lineup hasn't seen any time together on the floor. But Dang, Wade, Dragic, and Whiteside were actually the Heat's most used four-man combination last year. And their net rating was a minus 5.8. So they were basically the Orlando Magic that won 25 games when those guys were on the floor. I know training camp helps you develop continuity. You'll also have Bosch. That should help as well. But those early returns, in addition to all the other things you're dealing with, again, you have a lot of guys coming off the bench as well, a lot of new faces. I'm very, very concerned about this team. As high as I am on them, and I think they could be really good. I'm even more concerned as to what it's going to take for them to be really good. I do think adding back in Bosch to that four-man group makes a big difference because just the impact that he has on the spacing of a defense is immense. You know, he's, he developed into such a good stretch four during his time playing alongside LeBron and Wade that, that he, he can make a huge difference in that, impact, in that area. Uh, beyond that, I actually really like the bench of this team. I think that, that Riley has done a great job acquiring some like spare pieces who should work together nicely. I mean, if you look at their at their their second unit, if they're all on the court together, that's likely going to be like Mario Chalmers, Gerald Green, Justice Winslow, Josh McRoberts, and Amari Stoudemire or Chris Anderson, and that's that's a bunch of solid players who you're not going to they're, they're not, they're not going to be stars, especially like Stoudemire at this point in his career. But they're all productive in unique ways that should mesh together pretty well. I like the bench a lot, too. I, I really like Josh McRoberts. He didn't get to play much last year because of the injuries. But the year before in Charlotte, he was one of my favorite players just because of his uniqueness. Um, he was a 6'10 guy that Charlotte basically ran their offense through. And I feel like that fits perfectly with Spolster's offense. When they were really good in the LeBron era, that ball was moving to all kinds of – it was all over the floor – it wasn't dominated by Wade and LeBron like a lot of people thought it was. It was very ball movement heavy. And I think Josh McRoberts facilitates that, obviously more than Hassan Whiteside. Um, I don't know when we were planning to get into this, but this is something that we've talked about off the air. Hassan Whiteside kills ball movement. He is a black hole when he catches He might be the, the worst inside. passer ever. And <laughs> just to kind of set up this discussion... Um, we did some research. So Hassan Whiteside, this I hope you're all sitting down because this is crazy. <laughs> he has six assists in his career. And granted, he's he has he's only played I think just over a thousand minutes in the NBA, but six assists in his entire career. 
992 NBA players have had at least seven assists in a single game, and 72 centers have had seven in a, seven assists in a game. He he might be the worst passer to have ever played in the NBA. <laughs> just just to put that in even more context, if if he somehow played all 48 minutes in every game, his career like per minute assist rate would mean that it would take him 4.4 games to record a single assist on average. Jeez. Um, I think Bailey had another crazy one too, right? Aside from that on the um, right side. Yeah, I did. So like I said, he's played just over 1,000 minutes. It's actually at 1,142. Um, 2,184 players have played at least that many minutes. Um, you guys already know the answer, so I won't make you guess. But of that group of 2,184, he's dead last in total assists. And beyond that, you were telling us earlier that uh, I think 72 centers have had seven or more assists in a single game, yeah. which is more than he's had in his whole career. It's insane. Yeah. I mean. and, and just to kind of make this relevant, um, like I said, that Miami offense, and Spolstra is still the, still the coach, so it's conceivably the same system. It was so reliant on ball movement. And part of me, part of me likes the front court of McRoberts and Bosch better than Bosch and Whiteside for that reason. And Adam looks like he may be a little confused, so I'll let him. Well, I would just worry too much about the defense there, especially because you've got a bunch of guys who aren't exactly known for their defense on the wings and at point. You know, Drogic is at best a mediocre defender. Wade was pretty bad this last year just because he doesn't have enough energy to, to really play offense and defense uh, with as many miles as he has on his tires. And Dang was a great defender during his Chicago days. I'm not sure he's as good as the persisting reputation would lead some to believe. And I would, I think I would initially think the same thing. And there's some noise with this number because Whiteside wasn't with the Heat all season. But when he was on the floor... Last year, Miami gave up 105.6 points per 100 possessions. And when he was off, they gave up 102.8. Now, a lot of that has to do with he's, he's playing against starting units, mostly. Um, but I'm not he, – he blocks a lot of shots, and he gets some highlight plays on that end. I'm not positive he makes them that much better defensively. Well, for me, even – I don't think he does make them that much better defensively. I think they don't have enough – complimentary defenders to make it work it's almost like a deandre jordan situation with the los angeles clippers where he's going to block shots be a pretty good rim protector grab rebounds but the defense isn't going to be better than mediocre and one of the reasons is Dwayne wade hasn't been a good defender in the past couple of years i'm going to throw this number out when wade was on the floor last season which was for almost 2,000 minutes the heat gave up 105.3 points per 100 possessions when he was off and he was off the floor for more minutes than he was on last year, they gave up 102.4, which would have at least put them in the middle of a pack as opposed to the bottom you know, 10%. That's going to be an issue for them. And Adam talked about it with Dang, who he's older as well. Bosch has always been an okay defender, but the age there, and you just look at their bench, they don't have stoppers, defensive stoppers on the bench. Chris Anderson's probably their best You don't mean, you mean Amari Stoudemire's not a defensive stopper? Uh, he's more of like a turnstile. Okay. No, I mean like Gerald Green is probably going to be their sixth man, right? And he stopped playing in Phoenix because they didn't trust him to even try on defense. 
I don't. I personally don't think there's a lineup combination with anyone on this roster that you could build where the Heat would be an above-average defensive team. Like, and if that was just your most five men, most used five-man unit. Like, yeah, you put Gerald Green in there, you put Dang in there, you put Whiteside. I'm not sure those three guys are enough to anchor an above-average defensive lineup. I just don't see it. So to me, it kind of sounds like we're like talking ourselves out of thinking the Heat are <laughs> going to be that good. Like, this is. This seems to be one of those rosters that on paper it's like, oh my god, this is talented. But when you really dig into it, it's, uh, there are some serious flaws. Well, and then the other thing is, how good can their offense be? Uh, it looks, again, phenomenal on paper, but, but how good can it really be? Because they were mediocre last year. Uh, you know, They weren't much better with Dwayne Wade on the floor on the offensive end. Hopefully, with everyone healthy, you have a training camp, you can get all those pieces together. But Whiteside's going to hurt them. Did, on the offensive end. Did you guys see how Eric Spolster reacted to questions about uh, Kevin Love and Goran Dragic running pick and pops? He was like, he was giddy. When, when he was answering oh, that, he okay. like couldn't contain himself and was like snickering about it because he's that excited. And oh, you're talking about Chris Bosch? What did I say? Kevin, Kevin Love. Love. I was so confused. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, oh, Chris Bosch. Yeah, they traded for Kevin Love. Did you miss that? Oh, yeah. That would make them a good team. <laughs> Uh, no, but I mean, Chris, Chris Bosch and Goran Dragic, I, I love both of their offensive games and they're going to complement each other really nicely and structuring an offense around that as opposed to the positionless basketball that they really played during the LeBron era and kind of tried to play last year. I think that would make them a fairly elite offense, but it's going to take a big adjustment because I mean, we've seen in the past so many coaches who are unwilling to, to kind of bend their systems to, to structure around the players they have at their disposal and now you're asking a coach who's won two titles and cemented himself as one of the, the, the primary strategists in the league to, to make substantial changes. I don't think Spo Elster is going to be the problem. I think he's shown, specifically in those LeBron James years, that he has the ability to adapt, not just his scheme, but the lineups he's trotting out. Like For the record, he, I agree with you. He, he, really, he was the guy that started the whole LeBron James should be a, a power forward thing. So you have to give him credit there. My concern is Dwayne Wade. Again, phenomenal basketball player when he's healthy. Doesn't have a modern-day offensive game anymore. I think the fact that he's willing to be a number two has allowed him to sort of – and he's been more efficient on the shots he's taken, even though they're not efficient shots. He falls into that Kobe Bryant group in terms of his play style not being made for today's NBA. I'm not saying he's Kobe because he he shoots better on those mid-range jumpers but how much more is he going to do that? He's never really stepped behind the three-point line. He's not really conducive to a lot of ball movement. He likes to hold the ball, and he's a great playmaker. But he's not going to be that guy who whips it around like crazy. So you have to rely a lot, especially with Whiteside on the floor, on Bosch and Dragic making you this elite offensive team. Can those two guys be good enough together to carry the heat offensively? And I, I don't know that they can be just because of – the other mouths that need to be fed, and how they'll have to play with Wade and Whiteside on the floor. I don't know if they fed? can. I don't know if they can be elite. And just for the record, I was shaking my head because I thought you were saying Wade was going to be like Kobe this season. I think I understand your point now, though. They just yeah, I saw that. I was sim- about to mention. <laughs> they play a similar game, and I will give you that. Like he isn't. Um, he isn't terribly. Or he isn't very well suited to like this new Spursian everybody touches the ball type of offense. Um, I don't. I think to kind of answer your question, I don't think they'll be elite offensively either. To and they be, need to be. Well, 
I don't know if they. I, it dip, obviously, they do, they're going. They do need to be. Yeah, they I was going to say. I was. It depends on what they're going for. Obviously, they're going for a title, um, which with, is kind of funny. Yeah, but that's like, just the way Pat Riley operates. Yeah. But if we're thinking back to, I think it was Adam who said it originally. Can they compete for like the number two seed in the East? Um, I think they can get there with like an offense and a defense both around. Tenth, because I I don't think there's any team in the East besides the Cavs that's really that threatening. I I agree with what not you're even saying. the Bulls. No, I, I actually agree with Bill. I know Adam's about to punch the computer, but I agree <laughs> with everything he just said. There's no way that the Heat are going to be in the top ten on both sides of the ball, and that's the issue for me. I there it's not going to happen on defense. Like let's not. I'm not even going to entertain it. Maybe you guys will. If they're if they're top half in off defensive efficiency. I will be incredibly shocked. And I don't know how many times I've said that today, but I'll be shocked. Their offense, I guess it could be top 10. It could be, but that's emphasis on could be. I don't think they're a lock to be an elite offensive team. They could very well wind up in that 12th to 13th range. And when you have a bad defense, that's not going to be enough to get you to two seed, even in the East. Like you need to be elite on one end of the floor. And I'll use the Raptors as an example. Horrible defensive team last year. For most of the season, they were really good offensively, and that brought them into that top four conversation. I don't know if the Heat, they can maybe match the Raptors of last season. I guess that's who I would compare them to there. I admittedly have a tough time staying totally objective here because Goran Dragic is one of my absolute favorite players in the league. But I, I can't help but think back to, uh, to 2013-14 when he was an all-NBA guard because he had the ball in his hands so much and he was allowed to operate as that slithery guy who could play on and off the ball as a combo guard. And he had a, almost a historically unmatched combination of shooting efficiency and shot creation ability. I mean, if you look at those two uh, juxtaposed with one another, like no one except Steph Curry has really been able to do what he did. And I think that's the kind of role that he's about to enter back into in Miami after kind of a year of wasting his talents in Phoenix last year because they wanted him to stand in the corners. And he was fine in that role, but it wasn't making the most of what he could do. So because I think he's going to enter that role once more, I don't have a problem with saying that they will be a top 10 offense as opposed to they could be. This kind of goes back. I think Dan was touching on this earlier. What do you do with Wade then? That's the issue. I mean, you got to use him as a slasher. Again, and that's a perfect point. I think you have to do the same thing with Whiteside, too. I know the Heat were talking about or wanted to carve out more post-ups. That can't happen. Like, Whiteside needs to be your Tristan Thompson on offense. Be that dive guy off pick and rolls. That's all he can do. And I agree with everything Adam said about Dragic. I'm not as apt to just saying he's going to return to that 2013-2014 role because of how many other mouths there are to feed on the offensive end. I think Dang is okay being strictly that catch-and-shoot guy. He's not best suited for it, but he's okay. I don't think you can sell Wade on that. I don't know if you can sell Bosch on that. And then you have Whiteside. It just seems there are a lot of moving pieces, and you don't want to take the ball out of Dragic's hands too much because he's a very he's, he's emotional in the sense that he'll be a Debbie Downer if he's not getting enough touches or allowed to dominate the ball. We saw it in Phoenix. And he's a great spot-up shooter. He hit almost 38% of his spot-up threes last year, but... I worry about finding that balance. I trust Coach Spo, but it is going to be really difficult. I just I can't stop imagining some of the really creative sets that they could start running. You know, like imagine like elevator doors with Whiteside and Bosch and like Drogic running through them. And then you have Whiteside rolling and Bosch popping with one of the more dangerous ball handlers 
getting the catch. Like stuff like that is just going to be impossible to stop if they're if they're running smoothly. And I I really agree with you there, Adam. I I think they have a lot of potential offensively. I can see some really cool sets, and I think Spolstra is a smart enough coach to be able to get there. Um, we have a couple of questions on the Heat. No. Well, I think, yeah, I think they have one on a point guard, I believe, which is perfect for what you were just talking about. Yeah, uh, the point guard situation from David Grubb at DM Grubb, the point guard situation in Miami, who is going to run the offense? And I think that's a good question because we assume it's going to be Dragic, but you need to give Wade his touches. The bigger concern for the Heat is probably who's going to be your secondary playmaker off the bench. That's, you know, for me, is that's the bigger question. I think Dragic is the clear primary ball handler. I think Mario Chalmers has kind of gotten a bad rap unnecessarily the last couple of years because he was sort of a punching bag when LeBron and Wade were there. But, you know, he's a decent ball handler who can do some good things on both ends of the court. He's not a star or anything close to it, but he's able to serve as a, as a pretty decent backup. I was going to say just what you said at the end there. He might have been sort of outmatched by his role last season before they got Dragic. I think as a backup point guard, he's, he's very solid. He's no Vino uh, but you know. Of course not. He's um, no Trey Burke. <laughs> Just kidding. Just well, kidding. <laughs> yeah, that one we could have a debate on. But, um, yeah, I would, I would respond with, with Dragic as well. But I think there are going to be times when you have to run Wade as the primary ball handler. Just to – go ahead. It definitely helps that, again, that you can play Dragic off the ball – it's just a matter of making sure that you know you appease his ego and don't do it too much. Very true. Um, we have another question from Dave Leonardis at Front Page Dave. He asks, "Is Hassan Whiteside a max player?" And I don't Moving even know on, when his. <laughs> I don't even know when his free agency is. Is that after this season? Yeah. Okay, so Dan's answer is obviously no. Do you care to elaborate? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. You know, you give me a really good center, and I'm still hesitant to give them a max deal. There are a very handful of guys who I'd be like, you're worth the max. DeMarcus Cousins is one. Uh, you know, I have trouble naming guys after that, again, because the center position has changed. Maybe you throw, like, you know, Serge Ibaka into that or eventually Anthony Davis or Carl Anthony Towns. But I wouldn't even have given Marcus Gasol a max contract this summer. I'm not going to give uh, Hassan Whiteside a max deal. He just, can't just in, Dan hates centers. <laughs> I don't hate centers. The position is needs to change, and Hassan Whiteside is, would have been a great center in the 90s probably, and maybe not even then because he can't pass. Well, I think there's two different kinds of centers now. Um, there's somebody like Carl Anthony Towns who can like handle the ball and shoot, but I think there's still room for the Tyson Chandler, DeAndre Jordan, Rudy Gobert type who's a a role threat in the pick and roll who can get offensive rebounds, who can protect the rim. Um, obviously I think Whiteside needs to improve as a passer to be a part of that group. Um, but I think that there is, there is a mold that he can fit into. I agree with you, but I think it's becoming more mandatory for a center like Tyson Chandler, or if you're going to be a Tyson Chandler or Deandre Jordan, to be a better passer in the NBA. I'm not even talking he needs to shoot threes. And again, someone like DeAndre Jordan survives because he's historically good at rebounding. Hassan Whiteside is not. So just just the thing for me is if he's not going to become a better passer, I don't know how you would justify even giving him a rather large contract. I think you're right. There are two different types of centers. 
and maybe it's three right now because I think you're eventually going to have these modern-day guys who block shots and shoot threes, and then you're going to have the more traditional types like Marcus Saul and Marcus Cousins, but you have to be a great passer. I think the days of having a Dwight Howard, of having a DeAndre Jordan, I don't think those those guys like them can survive at a high level and be superstars for much longer. Before I agree with that, and before Adam answers, I just want to say I love that passing is such a valuable skill now because it wasn't that way 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, I love that that's part of the consideration. Anyway, go I ahead, I agree because it's like one of the only things that I can do well on the basketball court. But <laughs> to, to answer Dave's question, I'm going to kind of cop out here because I don't, I don't want to say I would give him a max because I wouldn't. He's not proven enough. Um, there, there are too many issues with his above-the-shoulders game. You know, he's not shown an ability to stay healthy for long stretches. But I also don't want to rule out that possibility because he's looked phenomenal in short stretches. And he's still, I mean, he's, what, 26 years old now because it took a while for him to get that second chance in the NBA. But, you know, if, if he keeps developing and stays on the track that he looked to be on from a lot of last year, then I think he can work his way up into that discussion. Um, this is just something I looked up because Bailey mentioned it about passing, and if I think it pertains to Hassan Whiteside if he wants to enter that max contract conversation. If you look at how much passing has changed for the big man, the average assist percentage for a center who qualified for, or a big man, excuse me, 6'10 or taller who qualified for minutes per game, the assist percentage was 8.3%. That was the average in 2006-2007. Last year, it jumped to 9.2, which can, I know it's a small increase, but considering you know, how limited the assist percentage is, that's a big jump. What, do we, what was Hassan Whiteside's last season? I know what it is, but what do you, what do you think it was? Negative Zero. three. <laughs> it was one. So he's not even close to average. And again, it's like Billy said, because passing is so paramount. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't even think deal. 1% underscores enough just how ridiculous that is because assist percentage is how many of 100 made shots by your teammates are assisted by you. Think about that. Like, If his teammates make 100 shots, 99 of them do not require an assist from him. That's ridiculous. And he's not one of those guys, I've always defended Dwight Howard on this, who always seem to make the pass before the pass. That's not Hassan Whiteside either. He just doesn't pass. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's a... I think not having the willingness to pass is probably more worrisome than not having the skill, um, at least at this point in his career. If, if you're 26 years old and you still don't have the willingness to pass, I'm not sure if he's going to get it. Um, I think it's a skill that can be refined and, and taught to at least an, an average level, but it, it may be past time for him to show that he actually wants to do it. Um, we had one more question on the Heat. This one comes from from Chris Walder at Walder Sports. Does Miami pose the only real threat for Cleveland in the East? Nope, nope, nope. I don't nope. think that's, yeah, I would say I don't no. think Miami for is two the reasons. real threat. For, yeah, for two reasons. They're not the real threat because we're not as high on them as they appear to be on paper. Um, and beyond that, I don't think that we should discount teams like the Bulls and the Hawks. Um, I will not discount the Hawks. I will absolutely discount the Bulls. They are not going to be that threat. I think the Hawks uh, are the only legitimate threat, and I think that's with me being a little bit loose with the term legitimate. 
And I, I agree. Was, I think I think I was going to say there is probably isn't. more likely that there isn't one. That's what I was going to say. I don't think there I think is the Hawks come there. closest. The Heat. I don't even know if they're in the. T- maybe they're in the top three to the closest. You have. I would go Hawks, then Bulls, maybe Heat. I, I mean, I kind of like what the Raptors did. I like them better than the Heat this year. Well, there's our perfect transition. Where did they finish in the East? How many wins? I'll start it off. Um, I think if they're healthy, and we've covered this several times, and that's a big if, I think mid-40s, and I'm going to be bold and say they snag home court advantage in the first round and get fourth. I'm not. I'll say that's possible. That they could, if mid forties get you that home is, court advantage. I will reiterate, that's bold. <laughs> um, I'm going to put their ceiling as the inverse of last year's record. They were 37 and 45. I'm going to put their ceiling at 45 and 37. Wade's going to have to take nights off. Probably going to have to do the same for Dang. Whiteside is not going to be good every single night. There are going to be nights when he kills you. I'm very excited to see what Dragic and Bosch do, but there's still a lot to be desired even on the bench. So I'm putting their cap at 45. I think we've kind of established throughout this podcast that I'm a little bit more optimistic than you guys about this team, probably because of how much I like Drogic. So I'm going to say 47 wins and number five in the conference. That seems fair. Um, With that, though, I do believe that it is time for one of our favorite segments. Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! That's right. It is once again time for What Burns My Bacon, and today I am the one who has something sizzling in the frying pan, and I don't really want to make light of this. Uh, This is just more of something that I think we all really need to ponder, but a high schooler who was 17 by the name of Evan Murray um, died after suffering an injury during a football game uh, on Saturday, uh, or maybe it was Friday night, and you know, it's very sad. This is apparently, per the story I'm reading on Desbin, the third time such an incident like this has happened this month, and it happened in Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma and Louisiana. It's a very big red flag, and I'm wondering, trying to look at a larger scale, the NFL is an entity that can print money and is incredibly popular. Do we see a point where because things like this are happening, you know, with the CTE studies and all of that, where football isn't going to be as uh, popular because parents or kids aren't going to be as drawn to playing it because you're seeing these dangers. I really wonder if people are thinking this way yet, and I think it's necessary to start thinking this way because I know they've taken steps, uh, baby steps, to try to make the game safer, but it's just not a safe game. And I think a lot of the times we forget, not so much on the high school scale, but on the college and NFL scale, these are actual people who are getting hit at incredible speeds, and it does not feel good. And they're doing this week in and week out, and for some of them it's happening 5, 10, 15 times a game. It's just a concern of mine. I'm big on safety for athletes, and I eventually see a world where you're going to see younger kids gravitate towards the safer sport, and hockey is even the safer sport right now, and basketball, and baseball. So I just think that's just something I'm thinking about. I don't really want to have a hot take on this because this is a very sad story, but... It definitely just got me thinking once again about the future of the NFL and why I don't think it's necessarily bright. Yeah, since you did connect this to the NFL, unfortunately nothing as severe as these tragedies at the high school level have occurred. Uh, but there was a recent study released by thinkprogress.org that, that said that about 15% 
of all people in the NFL have already suffered an injury through week two, and that's 234 that. different players. There have been 12 concussions, 40 knee injuries, two neck injuries, and another unspecified injury to the head, and that's a quote. Um, I mean, 16 people during week two had injuries severe enough that they had to be removed from the game. Like, these are terrifying statistics. Yeah, I, Mike Friedman wrote a piece about it. That's where I initially saw that statistic of Bleach Report. It was a great piece about us really starting to think about these players as actual people, not just pawns in our fantasy games. But here's the issue I have, and it's not just the NFL. I think baseball is guilty of it too. Every sport, everyone, we're not willing to do something until someone dies. And that, that's the problem. I think we saw it with baseball, with the Nets or hockey, with, with whatever they have to prevent the pucks from hurting people. So what else has to happen? Because if high school players are dying, and I don't think they've connected this death to that, that high school player's injury, but what is it going to take for us to really wake up as a society or football as a sport to, to get groundbreaking change? Like, what, what do we need to see outside of everything we've already seen? I don't, know if there's, I don't know if there's anything you can do without radically changing the game, and I think the solution is, is years in the making and it's going to be what you said earlier dan i i know of people who loved football growing up uh, as players and they're not going to let their kids play and that's going to trickle it's going to take a long time for that sort of trickle down effect to to have any sort of meaningful impact on the game at the nfl level um but i i think there is there's reason to be skeptical about its future even though it's such a money-making monster right now stuff like this is is very real and if i had a son i would uh, it would certainly be concerning to me if he's getting hit like that um yeah, i don't have one now but so no, here if, if i if i have one i i would seriously consider just banning football from from being part of his repertoire and that probably wouldn't be an issue for the nfl because i doubt there's going to be enough athletic <laughs> no, genes there but, but you know <laughs> it's almost like i had my mom, when I was growing up, refused to let me play football for that reason. She wasn't privy to all this information. I think she was – I looked at her as being overprotective back then, but she just didn't want me getting hit, and she thought it was dangerous. But now we have this evidence that not is it just dangerous when it's happening, but the long-term ramifications, yeah. uh, they're too costly. Yeah, a lot of guys come out with with brain damage. It's, it's really sad. Um, on that note, we are – done with this episode of of hardwood knocks um if you want to talk to us about anything with the miami heat um or the nba in general or you want to continue to to sort of discuss um sort of the sad trend we're seeing happening in football you can find adam at frommel09 on twitter he's f-r-o-m-a-l-0-9 dan is at dan favale f-a-v-a-l-e I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. And of course, all three of us can be found on uh, the handle at Hardwood Knox. You can find the podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe there. You can, you can make it one of your favorite shows on Stitcher. Um, we come out with new episodes every week. Uh, once we're done with the team previews, we'll start getting into some more the important stuff like uh live podcasting space jam exactly we've been brainstorming some some ideas for for episodes after we get done with these season previews and you guys are really going to enjoy what we come up with so be sure to keep listening and uh as always shout out to bina udri 
The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires porting of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.